Welcome to the Adult Children Voices Across America Speakers Meeting Podcast. You may attend this meeting live on Thursdays at 6 p.m. Pacific Time using the Zoom ID 848-520-80640, password 061120. For more information about adult children of alcoholics and dysfunctional families, visit adultchildren.org. The following speaker share from Lindsay B. was recorded on December 21st, 2023. Okay, thank you. Uh, Thank you so much for having me here tonight. Thank you to Terry B. for the invitation to speak at this meeting. Um, I spoke about a month ago, and I will try to not repeat my speech. Um, I think it is very interesting to speak for 45 minutes on on your life. Um, If anyone hasn't had the chance to do so, I I recommend it. It's, It's just... Uh, like, where do I start? Um, but I think I have some very beautiful uh, higher power notes from today. So I think I'll just share them and start there. Um, my theme for the questions afterward would be stuck grief. Um, that was also the daily reader today. Um, so I'll just start with that. Uh, so the daily reader said, stuck grief. Grief is loss that is stuck beneath denial, willful forgetting, and the fear of being perceived as dramatizing the past. Grief is the built-up defeats, slights, and neglect from childhood. Before we came into ACA, we might have thought of grief as something we experience only from overt losses such as death of a loved one, divorce, or a devastating illness. With recovery in ACA, we also experience grief as something that comes from the loss of our identity in childhood. We're exposed to many suggestions of what those childhood losses might be, such as being regularly or unfairly criticized by a parent, being compared to a sibling who was more well-behaved, being told we were bad, dumb, or inferior, being told to keep secrets, the list goes on. Just as it's valuable to handle more overt losses by grieving in a healthy manner rather than avoiding, numbing, and dissociating, We learn in ACA to practice loving ways to grieve our childhood losses. By working the steps and learning to have a dialogue with our inner child, we discover that our bodies and minds remember the neglectful and shaming acts of the past. Unearthing these memories and facing the feelings buried within them isn't easy, but we discover an amazing payoff on the other side of this grief, being fully self-expressed and feeling alive, perhaps for the first time. On this day, I will be aware of and focus on one of the losses I experienced in childhood and practice a loving and compassionate way to grieve that loss. I'm just going to like take some moments for everyone to just breathe. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Stuck grief. That is what I'm in now. Um, So I've been in recovery for about three and a half years. Um, And I'm learning that what I have experienced is in my body. Um, And it's amazing to have an outlet like this to share and to get it out. Um, Sometimes it looks like needing movement. Uh, I'm a very silly person. I just did dance martial, which is like silly workout videos before this meeting because I had I had some anxiety and some other emotions and I was like, I need to just like shake it out, get it out. Um, So I did some very silly dancing and sometimes it looks like something else. Sometimes it looks like 
yoga or taking a walk or sitting with nature, um, taking a bath, water. Um, there's a lot of things that I do uh, to give my body nurturance. And yeah, my story. Um, when I gave a speech or a talk uh, a month ago, um, I was sort of asked to add a little bit more dimension about my family. Um, and so I'd like to do that, but I also don't want to go into like 20 minutes of it. I want to focus on um, what I can provide that's that's helpful to everybody here in the meeting. Um, but a general overview. Um, actually, before I do that, I forgot. Um, I also want to say there was like a couple more higher power things. So before I get into that, um, another thing I had is I drink this tea and today my, my like it gives like this little beautiful uh, wisdoms. And today it said, know that you are a child of the universe. And for me, uh, given what I experienced in childhood, I kind of need to believe that. Um, I kind of need to believe that my biological parents are not the higher power. They're not the only parents. Um, I can get nurturance from somewhere else. Um, and not that I'm mad at them for it, just that, yeah, I really need to believe that there's there's a lot of nurturance out in the universe, um, that it's a safe place, and I'm a child willing to and able to receive any and all of it. Um, and then the last higher power thing, before I start even on the story, is that today is December 21st. This is my one-year anniversary with my partner, um, and that's a really big, yeah, that's the, and actually he's on here, and his mom is on here, and a lot of lovely friends of mine and sponsors and recovery friends and everybody are on here, so I'm really grateful to see um, all of the faces and all of the support. Um, but that's a really big one that it's a one-year anniversary for me because this is my first healthy and loving relationship. Um, and it's my first securely attached relationship. So uh, after three years of working the program, I managed to change my dating history. I hope I will never go back. Um, and I'm just really um, grateful for the relationship that I am in. Uh, I have never had a more loving, amazing partner. So um, thank you to him and his mom for being on here tonight too. Um, yeah, so there's a lot of higher power stuff. Um, and I see that there's 89 people too. I mean, I feel like that's also just like, thank you, higher power for bringing us all together tonight. Um, so yeah, I'm just going to go into why I have stuck grief. Um, so I was born an infant to two parents that had severe mental illness. Uh, my father very, if you like, if you, if you are analytical, he has schizoaffective disorder. Um, it's a form of schizophrenia. My mother has borderline personality disorder and PTSD. Um, and without putting the labels on it, uh, this essentially left me parentless. Um, they were dealing with a lot of struggles, uh, maintaining their own life. And I'm not sure that there was, uh, like the mindfulness of what it required to parent to children, to infants. Um, so when I was an infant, my father would pretty much just be sleeping on the couch, um, didn't really interact with us, pretty zonked out on medications. Um, I remember he would swallow a whole bottle of pills. Um, and that's what I remember my dad from childhood. Uh, and my mom was struggling with emotions that are probably 10 times the level of emotions that any of us feel. 
um, that are the, the standard uh, feeling of emotions. And she didn't have much guidance in her childhood on how to regulate them. Um, so one that she really struggled with was rage. Um, so I've been reading this book, uh, Mother Hunger, which probably many people in this group know it. Um, it's kicking my butt. I actually had to turn it off from the audiobook. I'm like, I will just deal with you another day. But what I got from the beginning part of this book is that uh, there are four types of attachment and about 50% of population has a secure attachment and about 50% has an insecure attachment, one of three types, anxious, avoidant, or disorganized. And this attachment is mainly based on, according to the theory, mainly based on the connection, the quality of the connection that an infant has with its maternal caregiver. Um, and yeah, so that quality of connection really matters. Um, and she, yeah, the author labels three things as part of maternal care, uh, nurturance, guidance, and protection. And to make a long story short, I don't think I received any of the three uh, from my, my mom. And I ended up with a disorganized attachment, which means that if I'm trying to connect with somebody, I don't know whether I should get close or run. Um, so I was the fearful avoidant um, infant. I'm going to take a drink of water now. Okay. <laughs> so that was infancy. I think I'm missing a lot of markers like uh, touch. Like one time I made my therapist cry because I said, I don't, I can't remember that I was ever touched by my parents, like or held or something. And he just was like, geez, Lindsay, oh my gosh. <laughs> so I think there's a lot of milestones I might be missing. Um, um, yeah, and I guess I'll just like flip to, by the time I was a high schooler, um, I was, pretty much a robot. I was trying to do the Bill Gates thing where I was going to make a scholarship and then I was going to get the hell out of there. I, I'm not Bill Gates yet, but I did make a scholarship. I moved to Texas um, and went to college. Uh, I studied neuroscience. I got the whole DSM book and tried to just figure out what the hell I had experienced growing up. Um, but a lot of it was still focused on my parents and um, I still didn't really have a self. I didn't understand that parents are supposed to mirror back to a child and give them, help them develop an identity and all that. I think I was missing like all of it. Um, so I had a lot of codependency. Um, and I guess I'll just flip to, I don't want to miss anything important, but yeah. So, yeah. So I, I ended up going to college in Texas. Um, and then I went to grad school. Um, I finally tried to study something else in grad school. I was like, I'm going to get the, I'm done with the parent thing. I'm going to go try to study something else. I'm not fixing anybody. Um, and in college, I was, I, or not college, sorry. In grad school, um, it was pretty fun. I went to Italy for my first year and I was really struggling with um, writing papers. I was struggling with putting, like having my own voice uh, it was a lot of, it was a like a, a lot of politics paper. So everything needed my own opinion, uh, my analysis, my thoughts. And I just did not want to turn them in. I was having a lot of trouble finishing classes. Um, that's when I realized I probably have 
a lot of trauma stored. Um, but I don't think I was admitting it to myself yet. I remember I had this Italian, the first time I went to therapy, I, I, we got four free therapy sessions in grad school. And, uh, so I had this Italian therapist in Italy and she was like, Lindsay, uh, to write the paper, like you're making it too complicated, you know, like, uh, it's like the pasta sauce. When Americans make the pasta sauce, they've got the prego and the ragu and you put all the spices in and then I can't even taste the tomato. She's like, just have one argument, just simplify it. She's like, Italians, we just, we just take the tomato and then we just enhance the flavor of the tomato. We add the pepper, we add the salt, whatever we need. But the whole point of it is just the tomato. She's like, just pick one argument. You don't have to prove everything to me. Uh, but but it wasn't just trying to get my voice out. It was it was disorganization. Like my brain was scrambled. At that point, my trauma was catching up to me. And I knew I had to address it. I just didn't know what resources I could use to do that. Um, the next year, I moved to D.C., finished my grad program. And I remember going to therapy there too. I think I had four free sessions as well. Um, so I used those and they gave me like a time tracker piece of paper. I was writing my time down, but I was like, okay, I needed way more. I needed like EMDR therapy, but I was like time tracking. So, um, so yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was the beginning. Um, and then I moved into a group house in DC, uh, with five lovely roommates and, um, yeah, one of them is supporting me tonight. So thank you. Um, and that was really good for me. That was the first time that I understood community, um, because, um, my parents were very isolated. We, uh, they ended up moving to a different state than the rest of my immediate family even. So I didn't actually grow up with any other adults around. Um, so I lived a very isolated upbringing. Um, so we didn't know our neighbors. My mom had conflict with a lot of people. Um, so yeah, I just, it was very lonely. Um, so this was the first time that I had community. Um, and I made a lot of progress there. I, I ended up going to therapy full-time. Like, no, that's not, what is that? What does that mean? No, sorry. Every week. It was a lot more full-time than grad school. Um, I ended up going every week for about a year. And I called a couple of therapists. I was like, now I'm calling and I'm like, I need therapy for childhood trauma. And a couple of people were like, no, I don't take your insurance. I don't blah, blah, blah. But then one guy, he stayed on the phone with me for half an hour. And he was like, Lindsay, that trauma, it's something that's stored in your body. So the method I'm going to use with you is body work. Uh, so we're going to try a bunch of different techniques throughout the call and work on regulating your anxiety. Um, so sometimes we would like rub the temples or use aromatherapy and smell it during the meetings. Or he's like, if you have a, an interview or something, just like smell some lavender before it and then put it down and then be like, hi, I'm Lindsay. Um, or um, even splash water on your face before the interview or to calm yourself down or or use water, use baths. Um, there was a lot tapping. Uh, so this man really changed my life. Uh, and I still, I still am like an infant in my knowledge of body work. Um, I'm looking to get more into it. Um, yeah. I also had a friend that introduced me to aesthetic dance, which is something I want to get much more into. I actually want to be a, an aesthetic dance instructor, uh, mm -hmm. in the coming years. Is that a 15 minute? Yes. 15. Thanks, Thank you. Um, 
Yeah. So I know the solution here is to, is to tell the truth, like to have a voice and move my body. Um, I know those things. Um, so yeah, um, I learned a lot in that group house. Um, that's also where I came across CODA, which is my first program. Um, so I was in, actually I was in an unhealthy relationship. It mirrored similar to the relationship with my mom. Uh, it was verbally abusive, emotionally abusive. Um, I was codependent and, um, it was throughout all of 2020. And the funny thing is I was doing that, that video challenge where you take a picture of your day every day for a year, but just had a bunch of my ex's faces in it. So I never put the compilation together. <laughs> we broke up right, right in the next year. Um, but I do remember that I joined CODA in the middle of it. I joined it on the 4th of July and my roommate said, this is Lindsay's independence day, um, from codependence. So, um, yeah, so I knew I was codependent, but I still couldn't get out of a relationship. Um, so I continued it for another six months um, while getting a sponsor in CODA. My sponsor in CODA, also here, I'm so grateful, uh, super lovely person. And I think, yeah, I think I met him before I met my therapist, but those two men are some of the most compassionate people I've ever met in my life. And they taught me another really important part of my recovery, which was compassion and showing up how I want to show up, like showing up how, like mm, embodying how I want to, to show up in the world, I guess, is, is the way I would say it. Um, they were so kind and compassionate that I was like, wait a minute, what is this? I want to be like them. Uh, so it really encouraged me to be mindful of my speech, of my actions, um, of how I'm handling people's information, of how I'm even handling conversations with people. Um, yeah, so that was one of the most important things I've learned. Um, and I used that in the future. I had this motto and I said, I like kind people, or I am a kind person. And I would just say those two things to myself. And I ended up that if somebody was having behaviors that were not in the realm of kind. I was like, I can't go over there. I can't, I can't do a relationship with that. I have to go like over to kind. Um, and then if I had an unkind response or something, I'm like, Lindsay, do you really want to be that? Like, do you want to be that way? Um, so yeah, it really made me mindful of, of how I'm impacting people, my energy that I'm bringing to a room, uh, to a conversation, whether I'm being judgmental or open. Um, I think that distinct, uh, that, uh, difference is really important to me too. Um, yeah. So, wow, I'm really speeding through this. So let's see. Um, so that brings me to CODA recovery. Okay. So I think I learned about CODA from watching a lot of YouTube videos. I just really love YouTube. And I think somebody, like, I was watching it about, like, narcissistic relationships or something when I was in one. And then somebody was like, okay, this is CODA. This is a recovery group for that. And I'm like, oh, that's great. Um, so I, I started out pretty heavily in CODA. And then I think about six months later, I joined ACA. Probably somebody in CODA mentioned ACA. Um, and ACA has become my family and has become my home meeting, home home program. Um, 
I kind of joined the money programs too, because there's some of that, but I didn't have space to actually address that. Like I didn't, I, I didn't have the capacity or the tools. So now I'm, I'm going back and I'm using uh, ACA as my foundation and then I'm going and addressing money stuff. Um, so yeah, I would say I'm, I would say the domestic violence cycles or the intergenerational passing of domestic violence. And in my case, it was some in my family was like physical violence, I guess, with my aunts and their husbands. Um, there was some alcoholism. Um, but with my mom, it was it was verbal and emotional violence. And I think that's equivalently violent. Um, I don't know if we said it at the time, but um yeah, in 2023, I think I can say that that's equivalently violent. Uh, it's just another form. And so I think, yeah, I'm, I guess I'm standing up to that at the moments that I have, like, the ability to stand up to any form of violence. Um, my goal is to be a peace bringer, a peacekeeper in the world, and uh, to really bring calm, to be really mindful of of what I bring. Um and then I have these poverty poverty cycles, which I guess is sort of within ACA and kind of overlapping into other programs. Um, but I think that's violent too. I think that's more of structural violence um, and it impacts a lot of people. So yeah, those are the two, the two recovery areas. I'm so grateful that I had enough recovery to finally look at this, this next area. Um, and hmm. Let's see, what else is there in there? Um, oh, then I could talk a little bit about, I mean, this whole journey, man, I'm having more time than I thought I would. Um, this whole journey of uh, CODA was so funny. So I heard this guy speak at a meeting and I was like, I love that recovery. Will you be my sponsor? And he's like, yes. And then he's like, but you have to do one year of celibacy. And I was like, oh, what are you talking about? What do you mean? He's like, yep, yeah, one year of celibacy. And I'm like, okay, sure. Shouldn't be too hard for me. I'm not that sexual of a person. So I did one year of celibacy. It was amazing. I started dating myself. And then I was like, I don't know. People have to be really fun to like make, you know, actually come in here because I'm having so much fun with myself. I would be like, if I'm going to go ask a guy 20 questions on a date, I actually have to go take myself to the park, ask myself the 20 questions because here I'm trying to get to know myself from this stuck grief from childhood. So I spent a lot of time dating myself and I actually loved it so much. I did it for another year. So yeah, like I had some offers and stuff, but I was like, no, I actually have a lot more to learn about myself. Um, and there were so many beautiful growth moments within that. Um, I started, yeah, I started having like an inner like sister or mother voice come in and be like, girl, if you want to leave, we can leave. If you want to be here, we can be here. If you're uncomfortable, let's make guacamole and walk. Like we can do whatever we want to do. But I don't know. I just had these, uh, it was it was much more nurturing and supportive. And now I had a relationship with myself and it was so beautiful. And I guess that's what maybe what people get if their parents mirror it back to them and they develop an identity in the beginning of their life. But anyway, I was having so much fun with having an identity finally. Anyway, I was just grateful for that. So that was the first part is the celibacy. Um, yeah. So it turned into two years and, and it, it fixed a lot of stuff. Um, I met myself. 
I started developing a criteria. It wasn't very complicated for who I wanted to date. Pretty much they needed to be kind. I got this off of a Cinderella movie because I'm 32, but I watched Cinderella because I don't have parents. And she had a nice story where she got readopted and it was just like really nice. So anyway, I watched it and I go to bed. And there's this line in it where um, Cinderella is like, why do you like me? Why don't you like my stepsisters? And and he and the guy's like, I like kind girls. And I know it sounds super simple, but I thought to myself, I'm like, do I like kind guys? And I'm like, no, 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 that's the opposite of what I like. And the data has shown. And I'm like, what if I just flip it? And I go, I like kind guys. And then so, yeah, so then I used that. That was very helpful and very simple. I don't think it has to be complicated. There were people writing like, 500 lines of what they look for in a guy or something. I was like, he's got to be kind. Like if we can talk it through in a kind way, we can deal with anything else. And I have one of the kindest part. It really worked out for me. I just really, I just really am so happy with how that worked. I have one of the kindest partners I could have asked for. Um, and this is another piece, I guess. I, I was really scared to just be visible. I still am struggling with that. Um, like I can't believe uh what 95 people wanted to hear my story. Like, but like, okay, well, if you have something to share. Um, so yeah, like kind of discrediting myself or a fear of being seen. Um, I think my mom had a lot of envy, and I guess I'm learning my grandma did too. Like, and yeah, it made me fearful of of glowing, like fearful of shining. Um, the poverty thing too was really hard, like. Being in poverty in my family, it meant we had to talk about like one of three subjects, which is like um, illnesses, like money issues, or like, I don't know, like just something sad in general. <laughs> and like, I just didn't, I didn't always have material for that. I'm a generally like a joyful person. So um, that was tough. But I, I guess the recovery story is that um, for my 34, first yeah no 30th I don't know 30th birthday I guess I wanted to invite eight people to go hiking with me in Shenandoah and I was so terrified I asked my sponsor it took me multiple days to send out the invitations and these are close friends they're like sure Lindsay yeah we'll go or like I can't make it but I was so terrified of just hearing rejection I guess or, or even asking having a need or asking um and then the next year um, this is how much my ACA and my CODA community came through for me. I had a, like a combined, it was a combined birthday party, um, and a going away party for me and one of my roommates. And it was also her engagement party. So it was like a forfer and we had a day long, uh, party. So we, we started at the park and had picnics and then we went to dinner and then we had like a little dance party in our house and a DJ. Um, and we ended up having over a hundred people. I just like spammed out the invites to all my recovery friends, all the friends I had made in a year of doing recovery. And yeah, um, one of my friends at the party was like, Lindsay, how do you know so many people? And I'm like, it's ACA. Like they came through for me. Um, we had like 60 year olds dancing on the dance floor and 20 year olds eating cake in the kitchen. Like we just had the spectrum of humanity. Um, and that's something I loved about, about ACA too, because growing up, I, 
I actually at some point realized most of my life advisors were 25 year olds. And I was like 27 at the time or something. And I was like, Lindsay, this is a problem. You're asking, like, you know, you're asking for advice from people who haven't lived much. And so I started just asking older people in ACA, like, what is it like to be a father? What is it like to have kids? Did you want them? Did you follow a social norm? Like, how how did this happen for you? Um, did you fulfill on what you wanted to do in your life? I just had a bunch of questions about getting older and having children or having a house. I don't know. I just I just wanted someone to talk to about it. Um, and ACA was a really great resource for that. Um, that was my ACA group in DC. And then I, throughout the pandemic, I traveled on ACA around the world and that was really fun too. I like traveling, but we were all quarantined. So I ended up traveling via ACA meetings. Um, so I did meetings in Spain and Russia and Germany and, uh, I don't know, the California, Detroit, New York, uh, DC. I went everywhere. And the cool thing is I found a community that I really fit in. Um, and it was in ACA in Santa Barbara. And I'm really grateful for the friends that are on the call from Santa Barbara tonight too. So thank you. Um, the, what this group taught me is how it is, promise seven, we will play and have fun in our lives. And that one was so important to me. Um, I really, because I didn't necessarily have a playful childhood, uh, it's really important for me to have a playful adulthood. Um, I want to have it balanced with adult responsibilities and then play. And maybe I want to balance it like 50-50. Um, but I love anything that can allow me to play, like frolicking in the forest, dancing, coloring, journaling, traveling, surfing. Uh, I could go on and on and on. Um, I'm really in touch with my hobbies and things that I love, things that bring joy. I usually ask myself, what is joyful? And then that's what I try to fill my time with. Um, and and I think environment and the people that I'm around were really important. Um, I make lists of people, so that might be bizarre, but maybe something in this is helpful. But um, you never know what's what's going to be helpful to someone. But um, yeah, I make lists of people. Um, so I like journal after I interact with someone and just ask myself, how does my body feel? Um, and then I make lists of people like, list of the 10 most compassionate people that I know. And then I'm like, then somebody else comes in, they've already been mean. And then I say like, do I even have time for this person? Because I don't even make time for the 10 most compassionate people I know. And I want to. 30 minutes, Lindsay. Okay. Thank you so much, Gretchen. Appreciate you. Um, so that helps me with my time management <laughs> uh, in theory. So yeah, I'm always trying to orient myself to healthy people and healthy environments. And I think it's because it was so difficult for me to thrive in my family environment where I was around people who were suffering. And I don't think they, I don't think it was intentional. I actually really don't. 
Um, they've all reached out. They all, I, I should mention, I'm estranged from every family member, which was four that I started out with. So it's not really like as many estrangements as it sounds, but yeah, it is. Um, and, uh, yeah, like why I chose that, I guess, um, I guess it was mistreatment, but, uh, or like I couldn't be healthy. Like I had to choose myself. And it and they all happen at different times, but mm, and someone will probably ask, like, aren't you gonna like? I don't know. Somebody asked last time, like, uh, what about their funerals or something? Are you gonna feel guilty? I don't know. Uh, all I know is that I have PTSD and I need to take care of my body, and I need to to survive <laughs> without necessarily having anyone like coming in to intervene if I don't care for myself. So. I can't uh, carry like save their lifeboat um, or maybe I'm unwilling to at this point. Uh, that was a really hard lesson in CODA that my sponsor, um, like I had a family member that was really struggling and I was very codependent with this family member and my sponsor is like, you have to, I mean, what is it like? Uh, yeah, we can't, we we really have to to take care of ourselves. We can't caretake for others. Um, so yeah, that was a very hard one. But once I learned that lesson, I understood it. Um, I can't go down with their ship. Um, and that's hard because that's like also a systemic thing. Like, uh, the country I was born to, um, like my parents, uh, my dad, luckily he like went to psychiatry and had medicine and stuff. My mom never went to therapy. So, she would have been hard, I think, for a therapist to work with, but instead infants got her. <laughs> and like, just to emphasize, um, that's a harsh thing to say, but that was, I think it was, um, it, I think it's a bit, I don't know what, what's the word? Like, I just feel, um, I feel very much like th that will be the hardest thing that I have ever dealt with. I think, I think I can deal with death now. I think I can deal with loss. I could deal. I, I don't know. I'm just assuming, but that one was very difficult as a starting point um, without having help <laughs> while being an infant or a child. Um, and yeah, I guess in the last time, like last amount of time here, um, I guess I can just go over. Hmm. What was most helpful? Um, in therapy, I think there was a point where my I asked my therapist, like, what else can I do? And he's like, Lindsay, I've never seen a client that is doing as much as you. I think you should just be. And that I was like, oh, oh, gosh, because I was doing I did two years, 42 hours a week of recovery. Um, and so I was doing it full time. Uh, and so then I decided to go on this world travel trip, which is where I went, met my partner. Um, so I joined a group of 25 people and we traveled the world for a year, living in a different country every month. And that was so abundant. My therapist said, you are like uh, Picasso, you paint your own life. And he said, if right now your mom is taking up, you know, everybody has a life pie. And if your mom is taking up this much of the pie, the way that you make her take up less, especially if you're struggling with forgiving her, which I, I was for years, 
Um, and I was actively trying. Uh, that was like the last piece I couldn't figure out how to do. He was like, well, another strategy you can do is just fill your life with other abundant things. So put in more pieces into that pie and your mom's piece will have to just shrink and shrink by default to fit the other abundant pieces. And so traveling, I put that in there and that was that was in an effort to, yeah, to make her piece just be a little bit smaller, to take something of the universe for myself um, and keep growing that, that pie. Um, and there were other pieces. Like, I think uh, if I didn't have a loving parent guidebook, I wish I had started with that. That was so amazing. I didn't know about self-compassion. Wow. <laughs> if you haven't gotten it, I recommend it even for people not in recovery. One time I was traveling and then someone was like, does anyone recommend a book? And I'm like, loving parent guidebook. And I'm like, it's a book about self-compassion. Um, I think it could be for anybody. Um, that was so helpful. And those meetings are so amazing. And I did boundary meetings with ACA too, which were really amazing. I just got on once a week and went over my boundaries and I'd be like, my, like, I don't know. I won't want to say anybody, but yeah, my blah, blah, blah is like, you know, took my pen or whatever. It wasn't that, but you know, like whatever it is, you know, this person is taking my, whatever this person did this. Like I have to assess it and be like, okay, well, can you set a boundary? Can you do this? So it, that was a whole nother set of skills about protecting myself um, that I learned through ACA. Mm, yeah. So maybe I'm looking at my notes here from the last one. Um, yeah, I guess, I mean, maybe I'll just wrap it up there. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I learned so much from ACA. Uh, I learned really how to be happy how to have joy, how to be playful. Oh my gosh. Thank you, Santa Barbara crew for all the pillow teenagers we made and all the other playful stuff that we did in fellowship during uh, the pandemic. I will never forget that. Um, those were the days. Um, I had just so much fun. Um, I learned how to be honest. I think that is so important. Um, I most recently, as of about two weeks ago, walked away from my very last family member, which was my grandmother, which is really hard because she's 93. And, um, and I just, I realized that like, she wasn't being honest. Um, and that like to be around her, I had to continue this family lie that my mom never did anything to me and that nothing ever happened. And I just realized like, I, I'm sick. I feel sick being in denial. I'm, I'm, I'm getting emotionally and physically, I was physically sick and I couldn't get better. Um, and so, yeah, I most recently even walked away from my 93 year old grandmother, which is, sounds harsh on the record, but, um, I want to be well, and I want to be around people who are well. And I spent a lot of time around sick people and I think I just want to spend the rest of my life around people who are well or who are getting well. Um, and I want to be treated well. And I guess I learned that in ACA too. Uh, just how to love myself enough to walk away 
sometimes, even when it's hard. Uh, so I will just wrap it up there. Thank you. If anyone wants to talk about stuck grief or anything else you've heard or just share your story, I am all ears to hear you. Thank you so much.